0: Hey, glad you can make it, and welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking, now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marrable, CEO of Employee Cycle, and you know us. We're that HR analytics dashboard helping all of you companies out there that are tired of the manual, tedious, and time-consuming process of HR reporting. That's right. We know you HR leaders need to have a full, comprehensive, data-driven view of the entire employee lifecycle, but you're stuck pulling spreadsheets from all these different systems always thinking there needs to be a better way. Well, look no further. That's why Employee Cycle has created your very own HR dashboard with pre-built integration connectors to all the different systems you're using. HRIS, ATS, Engagement, Performance, LMS, Employer Brand, you name it. If you're using systems like Bamboo, ADP, Namely, Lever, Greenhouse, 15.5, Lattice, too many for me to name without running out of breath, you can simply connect all your systems into Employee Cycle to view, share, track, and analyze all your employee data from one place. Check out employeecycle.com. Would love to give you a demo and explore how we can help the partner to help you automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company because today I would like for you to help me welcome to the show, Josh Millett. He's the founder and CEO at Criteria. And today we're going to discuss how to make hiring decisions that drive business outcomes. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Woo! Oh Thanks for having me, Bruce. Nice to be here. Thanks for being on the show. So, Josh, we're going to kick this thing off the best way we know how. And that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR?
1: Yeah, it's kind of, I, I kind of had a circuitous uh, route to the, to the world of HR technology. Uh, I had a, a prior startup uh, that was a very small startup, and uh, it was actually only five people. We were on the East Coast. I, I sold it to a company out in LA. Um, So I came out uh, to work for the acquirer. And uh, somehow, and I still don't remember how this happened, but somehow I I got put in charge of uh, uh, doing some of the hiring for the new company. I was completely unqualified for that. And um, uh, the genesis of the idea for Criteria was uh, some really bad interviews that I sat through. And anyone who's ever been in HR has had that experience of kind of being in an interview and, uh, looking up in the clock and, and realizing you have a lot of time left in the interview and that it's not a fit really on either side. So that started me thinking about how to
0: use data and use science to make the hiring process more, uh, more effective and more efficient. Nice. Thanks for the background. And can you give us a brief description and some context around what does criteria do? Yeah. So criteria is in the, in the business
1: of helping companies and organizations make better hiring decisions. So we, uh, We predominantly focus on uh, assessments, and so the the goal of our product is, uh, again, to help companies make more science-based, more evidence-based decisions, to use data to inform their decision making, so kind of similar in that respect to employee cycle. And also, we think that uh, our our assessments help companies remove bias or reduce bias in the the process,
0: uh, in the hiring process. Got it. So today we're talking about how to make hiring decisions that drive business outcomes. And just so we're on the same page with our audience, let's first talk about what kind of business outcomes can hiring decisions actually impact? Because there's so many different moving parts to a business and companies are trying to achieve so many different goals. But specifically from a hiring perspective, what do you think are some of the most important goals that your company can help companies achieve? But then also, what are you seeing based off of what's happening in the world today that is driving the business outcomes that companies are trying to solve from making better hiring decisions
1: yeah, so I, I think you know our customer base uh, is extremely diverse across a lot of different industries and a lot of different company sizes, but um, the common theme that a, a lot of our customers have that that's a pretty ubiquitous problem I think that um, that we help solve for is that hiring is really hard. And so the the pain points that people tend to have, that companies tend to have around hiring, uh, tend to fall into three buckets. So there's sort of three areas they look to partner with us to help uh, help improve. One is just hiring more high performers. So having a better uh, batting average in hiring, you know, that obviously means different things in different industries. So um, technology companies want to hire better engineers. Um, Other companies want higher performing salespeople. Um, So that's the uh, sort of biggest outcome. The second outcome that they're looking to improve is a turnover or a retention. Uh, that is a problem that is uh, universal, but tends to be more acute in certain industries where um, turnover is the kind of the number one driver of, of why they're looking for um, hiring help. And then the third one that's really come to the fore in the last two years, it was present before that, but it's really become more, more important um, in the last couple of years is companies are looking to us to help drive better diversity outcomes as well. So there's a, a growing perception that some of the um, legacy parts of the hiring process that everyone relies on, things like resumes and unstructured interviews, really do introduce unconscious bias into the, into the hiring process. And assessments can going to be a way to help minimize that.
0: Got it. And I appreciate the way you laid out those three different buckets. Because you've already set the framework for this conversation. So let's start off with the first that you mentioned. Companies are looking to hire more high performers. So I'm really interested in what this means because high performers can be a ubiquitous term depending on who you're talking to. And so when people say we want to hire better or higher performers, are they talking about... People at a senior level an executive level that they're looking to poach from other companies. Are they talking about just hiring high quality individuals, regardless of the level? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, it differs from company to company, but um, assessments tend to be used across uh, a lot of different levels uh, of a company. But and it'll differ a little bit by industry. Um, so, for example, our biggest vertical is technology. So we have a lot of technology companies. We also have a lot of healthcare providers and uh, so two examples there in technology the um, assessments are used most at positions where hiring at scale happens so where they do their high volume so for a lot of software and technology companies that would be software engineers uh, salespeople, customer support uh, so those those types of roles um, so some of our biggest you know PE backed uh, and VC backed uh, growth companies in technology they will use it across the whole uh, spectrum of positions. They sometimes even use it for very senior, you know, VP and C-level positions. But um, just because of the dynamics of how the hiring process often works, on those very senior positions, you're obviously looking at a lot of different data to make your decisions. And so um, sometimes that impacts, you know, when in the process an assessment would be used. So for a lot of those very high volume positions that people are, that companies are always recruiting people for, um, assessments would be used um, typically fairly early in the process. And that way you get that data point, that objective data point to help you inform your decision at a very early stage in the process, sometimes almost as early as, or at the same time as you're collecting like
0: a resume, as an example. Interesting. And You know It's interesting when you think about assessments helping you figure out who are higher performers. Can you give some context into what that looks like? Because people get hiring wrong all the time. And when people think that they've hired a rock star or a unicorn, they turn out to be a dud or the worst employee ever. Mm -hmm. Other times they hire people that they were on the fence about. And then that person becomes that rock star or unicorn. So how are these assessments helping through that process? To make this entire process a lot more data driven versus people just relying on their gut, which typically is wrong. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: So our assessments tend to focus on qualities that uh, that we know from decades of research in organizational psychology and from people who you know study workforce optimization as their profession. That um, that, that we we focus on qualities that predict long term performance. So some examples of those would be. Uh, cognitive ability, per- certain personality traits. Um, we've recently gotten into emotional intelligence uh, assessments, which is a little bit newer field. Um, and then we also have things like skills assessments as well. And the combination of traits, obviously, that, that you're going to look for in a position is something that will very much differ from industry to industry and, and position to position. But there are certain things that we know predict experience very well across a wide swath of positions. So. Um, when you look at cognitive ability, for example, things like critical thinking and problem solving, attention to detail, uh, learning ability, those things tend to predict success very well across a lot of different positions. And if you think about uh, the way that most companies still do hiring uh, here in the u s, Bruce, uh, what do they mostly use? I mean, the most common tool for hiring right is a resume. If you think about what a resume is, it's predominantly, made up of two things, right? It might have some information about the person's education, like, you know, what level of education they have, if they have a degree, sometimes like a GPA or something. And then also, most of the resume is uh, just a list of past experience. And we know definitively from all the research in the field, and it's not our research, it's it's peer-reviewed, you know, or psych uh, research that's been, uh, been out there for quite a while, that the amount of experience someone has and the level of education that they have are not all that predictive of future job performance. They're somewhat related, right? But they're what statisticians would call a a weak signal. And we're in the business of giving companies stronger signals so that they can make um, decisions about uh, long-term performance of of people they hire with
0: more, with more confidence. Got it. That's pretty interesting. And the last question I have about this thought of hiring better and higher performers how much do the assessments and does the process differ between hiring a high-performing individual contributor versus hiring a high-performing manager?
1: Yeah, so a, a lot of the things that you want to assess for um, are, are really job-specific, like you said, not just individual contributor versus manager, but um, you know all sorts of elements of the job responsibilities need to. Um, be taken into account. And the number one rule for doing assessments as part of your hiring process, which I think is a general rule that actually applies to anything you use to help evaluate people in the hiring process, is the assessments you use or the information that you gather on an applicant has to be job-related. That's the number one thing. Um, and if it isn't job-related, if you're gathering stuff that's not job-related, and there's some, there's some laws around you know things you can't gather Precisely because they're not job related, but if you if you're gathering information that's job related, you can be pretty confident that a uh, it'll work, right? Because you're measuring things that are important for the job, and b you'll you'll keep your hiring process legally compliant. So for individual contributors versus managers, what that often means in practice is a totally different set of assessments, right? Where in a managerial role, there might be a heavy emphasis, for example, on things like problem solving and emotional intelligence, right? When you, if you're managing a team and individual contributors, it'll very much depend on what, uh, what the role is. So just taking one type of assessment, for example, personality assessment, if you're looking for a successful software engineer versus a successful salesperson, those profiles of, of traits and qualities that lead to success in those roles are going to be completely different. So it'll all be, you know, kind of job specific, um, When you get down to different types of individual contributor roles.
0: Got it. So now let's move to the business outcome that everyone's always talking about and optimizing for, which is improving their turnover and retention. And we deal with this a lot when we're helping our customers understand all this data within our dashboard. One of the things that we find really interesting about this is as good of a job as companies think that they're doing with hiring, they never really can translate the hiring process into how well that really affected retention or turnover, because it's really hard to figure out, was it the person or was it the actual company that dropped the ball or provided the negative impact on that person leaving? So I'm curious, through the assessment process, how are companies figuring out how to improve turnover and retention from the hiring process?
1: Yeah. And and that's a great point. You make that, right? not all turnover is created equal, right? And there's different types and and different reasons for for turnover, and specifically often there's different reasons for voluntary versus involuntary turnover. So, you know, historically with our customer base, the customers that are most focused on turnover are the ones and decreasing turnover are the ones where it's such a big business problem. So that tends to be a different set of industries than the the ones I mentioned earlier, like technology. It tends to be Industries like retail or uh, uh, hospitality where you have quite high turnover, call centers typically have high turnover. And so um, if you can just help a customer in one of those industries keep people for three extra months on average, then you're driving huge bottom line benefits there. Um, and so often those, those customers have historically been focused on just increasing the average uh, retention of their employees through better skills matching and and making sure that they have the personality traits um, that are going to lead to someone who's going to be a good fit for the role because people who are a good fit for the role tend to, on average, you know, stay longer. But recently, you know, as a result of COVID and coming out of COVID, you know, we've seen turnover be more of a concern a little bit across the board. And I actually am beginning to think that, and I don't know if you've seen this with any of your customers, Bruce, but uh, I'm, tending to believe that turnover is going to be kind of permanently higher and permanently a bigger issue for companies of all kinds coming out of COVID because the the industries that have remote work as a bigger piece of their equation now, uh, I mean, there's just so much more opportunities for mobility and and for finding new jobs when you don't have to be in the in the same physical location as that job, right? So all of a sudden people in the middle of the country can can look for jobs all over the place or people in the Bay Area don't have to be in the Bay Area to work in technology. There, there's all these things that lead to increased mobility. And so I think that turnover is going to become a broader concern for companies of all sizes because I wouldn't be surprised if the turnover rate, you know, nationally really continues to be a lot higher than it has been historically. Um, you know, historically it's kind of averaged 12, 15%. And I wouldn't be surprised if it if it permanently settles at a much higher level like 25 or 30%.
0: I agree. I 100 percent agree we're seeing it with almost all of our customers, and it's not that they're necessarily having or experiencing a turnover problem per se, but they are experiencing a much higher percentage of turnover than they were before. So they're not outliers and where a lot of other companies are saying, "Hey, we have no problem," and they're totally screwed up in that area. But I agree in the fact that one, you have a lot of pinned-up demand, Yeah. So we have a lot of people who wanted to leave during the pandemic, but then were too afraid or that was just too much uncertainty. And then all of a sudden you come out of the pandemic and you say, oh, wow, not only can I work anywhere, but I can potentially argue, negotiate, debate my way into 20 to 25 percent salary increase. Maybe even for the same role, not even moving up or becoming a manager or getting a promotion. That's awesome. Let me go take that. or you have a lot of companies that promised that they were going to provide remote work, but then they reneged on it. Mm-hmm. And people are like, whoa, what is this? I'm <laughs> yeah. we can work remotely. You know what? I quit. Or you have people that are just saying, hey, you've, you've drawn a line on the sand. You said that you're going to be in office. I clearly want remote. This isn't working. And so I'm going to go find someone that's remote first. So I 100% agree. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out over the next few years. Yeah,
1: I, I think so. I mean, the million dollar question for me is, you know, it, are those uh, dynamics that you described just temporary? You know, as people had a lot of time for, you know, introspection and reflection during COVID and they're you know, scared to leave their jobs. And now it's the economy really rebounds. You know, we've had a big spike in turnover. The question is, is that temporary or is it a longer term phenomenon?
0: I haven't ruled out that it that it, it could be you know, a more permanent thing. I agree. I agree. And we're going to have to brace ourselves. Because that means mm-hmm. that we're going to have to expect people to work a lot less, you know, a, a much shorter tenure at your company, and potentially have to pay them more. So, yeah, yeah. and whatever. it really puts
1: a premium. Um, and this is where you know your company and and my company both both come in. Um, you know, it really puts a premium on people strategy and having a strategic view of of your people because um, you know if talent ac- if turnover is going to be 25, 30 percent, then talent acquisition is is an always-on function, right? It's something that companies, even if they're not high-growth companies, always have to be doing just to replace the people
0: that are leaving. So um, it's really interesting to see how that will develop. Yeah, for sure. And then I want to talk about the last and third point that you mentioned, which is driving better diversity. And so This is a really interesting topic because there's so many areas to dive into around DEI, who's doing it right, who's just putting things out there just to seem like they care versus who actually cares and is doing it in an authentic way. But specifically from your perspective, from a data-driven hiring standpoint, using assessments and other methods of trying to drive out bias, what does that look like as you're working with your customers who are really optimizing for a DEI-focused hiring process?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, you know we've seen a big, big change in the last year and a half, in, in, in the wake of BLM and some of the events of last summer, and just um, coming out of COVID, and COVID sort of laid bare some of the inequities, you know, in uh, in the U.S. And what what I've seen is that you know we've always had conversations with our customers around diversity, but there has been a much more urgency around them around that topic from our customers. So I, I think it's going to be a uh, an enduring change um, in in the marketplace uh, in the HR marketplace, and you know my view on it from a very high level is if you look at how the sort of landscape of hiring is constructed in the U.S. as in many places, it's it's based on a paradigm that is very experience driven, right? So if you look at the tools that most employers use, right, what's the most common thing they use? Resumes, and then what's the Second most common thing is they do interviews and typically those interviews are are unstructured interviews, right? And both resumes and interviews are often very backward looking, right? They're very focused on what experience that person has in the past. As I mentioned, resumes are pretty much just a list of your previous experience and interviews often focus around, okay, tell me about, you know, what you did in your prior roles and let's look at your, let's drill down on your experience. And the problem with that is that that, approach of, of taking, um, you know, taking experience as sort of a gating criteria for employment. It's very, very bad for diversity. It's, it's uh, antithetical to improving diversity outcomes because if you think about the challenge of diversity, the central challenge of it is basically, you know, how to, com- how to overcome historical inertia, right? And if you're using experience as the primary lens through which you view someone's suitability for a role, then what you're essentially doing is modeling your your future workforce off the workforce of the past, right? Because if you're insisting on experience, um, you're going to get a workforce uh, going forward that looks a lot like the collective workforce, you know, five or 10 or 15 years ago, right? Um, And that's not going to improve diversity. That's not going to change a thing. So um, whether it's assessments or other, uh, we call them talent signals that, you're unearthing in the hiring process, I think employers need to focus on predicting long-term potential as opposed to being incredibly insistent on experience uh, as a way to both get better results and improve diversity. And there's, there's obviously some exceptions to that, right? Like there's really specialized jobs where you're always going to require experience, right? None of us wants a, an inexperienced brain surgeon right to operate on <laughs> uh, no, not you know, at all. an inexperienced uh, you know, employment lawyer or something. But, um, but by and large, the positions that we, we hire for at scale in the U.S. are positions where in, in entry and mid-level roles where we should be focusing on long-term growth and potential and not on experience. Because if you hire based on experience and you put you know, five years experience required in your entry-level job postings, that's very bad for early career folks, uh, you know, young people. And it's very bad for historically underrepresented minorities because they won't have the same level of experience on average. So um, so for me, it's really important to, to move past that experience-based paradigm, especially because we know it doesn't work all that well in terms of predicting outcomes, and get to tools that are really forward-looking rather than backward-looking.
0: Josh, with that being said, thank you so much for being on the Employee Cycle Podcast and for dropping all your gems of wisdom around really using a data-driven hiring process that drives business outcomes. So thanks so much for being such an awesome podcast guest. Woo! Go Josh! Woo-hoo! Thanks for having me, Bruce. It was really fun. Awesome. So Josh, where can people find you and Criteria online? Yeah, so you can find out more about our company and our
1: assessments and how we help at CriteriaCorp.com. And um, for me personally, uh, you can hit me up on
0: LinkedIn awesome, and we'll be sure to include all that contact info in the show notes. So for everyone out there listening, if you enjoyed this interview as much as Josh and I did making it, then please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, if this is your very first time listening to one of our interviews, but now you're hungry for more, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire Train and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.